If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Let us bow our heads together. We are sorry to interrupt, Holy One. It is possible that you are trying to sleep it off. The Sunday of Pride Weekend is always a little rough on everyone. The heat, the dancing, the shouting, the, well, everything. It usually takes at least a week to recover, so take it easy on yourself. Some people think pride is too much, that it's excessive, and worst of all, radical. Some people also thought, think, that way about the way Jesus lived too much acceptance, excessive grace, radical love. The similarities are uncanny. Can you imagine if Jesus would have had access to glitter? Those parables about the kingdom of heaven would have been a little more colorful. To be honest, we're all a little hungover from pride, Holy One hung over from the laughter, the hugs, the colors, the marching, the celebrating, the face paint, the festival, and the knowledge that Bible Belt queers are the best queers. As the song says, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But most of all, we are hung over from too much acceptance, excessive grace and radical love. Help us, Holy One, to never recover. We pray in the name of Jesus, who tradition says had two dads. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. Then she, Naomi, started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me, 
the Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons. Would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I would like to pause for a moment so that we can all enjoy the fact that one of the lectionary selections for the Weekend of Pride included a text that centers on the love between two men. I do not believe God orchestrates all the things, but I have to imagine that she finds this delightful. The specific text, not the one we read, the, the one that I'm talking about, the specific text is out of 2 Samuel and is one of the greatest love stories of, in, in the Bible. It is a classic tale of star-crossed lovers, David and Jonathan. Most people know David as the boy who took out the giant Goliath with just a rock and a slingshot. David is usually thought of as a man's man. After he felled Goliath, David cut off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword. As theologian Stephen Patterson recalls, when I saw the color illustration of this in my Bible, I thought it was cool. Another legend relates how David won his way into the royal family by presenting King Saul with the foreskins of 200 Philistines. This was not illustrated in my Bible. <laughs> Eventually, David himself would become king, subdue the Philistines, and establish a kingdom that would be the symbol of Israel's golden age for centuries to come. But here's something Bible school hardly ever taught about David, the toughest, meanest warrior king in Israelite history. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son. The 18th chapter of 1 Samuel describes their first meeting when David appeared before Saul, still carrying the head of Goliath in his hand in this way. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan 
was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. King Saul soon became jealous of David because his prowess as a warrior exceeded even his own, but Jonathan conspired with David to keep him safe from Saul's wrath. When Saul discovered their relationship, he exploded into an angry rage. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse? Later, as David and Jonathan prepared to part company, the Bible describes a most tender scene. They kissed each other and wept with each other, and David wept the more. The saga ends when, after many months, David learns that both Saul and Jonathan have fallen in battle. His lament includes these touching lines. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Dr. Patterson reminds us that for many years, readers of the Bible have passed over the love angle in this story, assuming that the language of intimacy and affection was simply a peculiar way of describing a very close buddy-buddy relationship. But recent studies by scholars of the Hebrew Bible have placed this story in its ancient context and shown that it is indeed a love story. It is a perfect story for pride this weekend, especially if you are an open and affirming congregation. But as you heard, so is the text that we read. It, too, is remarkably on the nose for Pride Weekend, for in this story, a woman is said to bind herself to another woman in the same way that a husband is said to leave his parents and bind himself to his wife in the book of Genesis. The Hebrew is the same, davek meaning cling to, cleave to, to stay with, to be joined together, to abide fast. But this is the fourth and final Sunday of our month-long series in which we are inviting each other into conversation. So now you have had the experience, the strategy of the preacher preaching mini-sermons on what the preacher is not actually preaching about. It's a two-for-one, and you're welcome. (laughs) We've asked a number of big questions over the last three weeks. Where are you from? Where does it hurt? What do you need? And today the question is, where do we go from here? It feels like we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit because what we're really wondering is, Where is here? Where are we exactly? Where is here? Things have been turned upside down over the last year, and quite simply, they are not right side up quite yet. It feels like we are neither here nor there, somewhere in between. This is what spiritual director Susan Beaumont describes as liminality a quality of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs during transition, when a person or group of people 
is in between something that has ended and something else that is not yet ready to begin. Transitions happen all of the time, and they generally follow a predictable three-phase process. The first phase is separation, a period in which a person or a group is stripped of the identity and status that previously defined them. The second phase of transition is the liminal period, a disorienting period of non-structure or anti-structure that opens new possibilities no, that are no longer based on old status or power hierarchies. New identities can be explored and new possibilities can be considered. And then the third phase of transition is reorientation, a performing period in which the person or the group adopts a new identity, grants, they're granted a new status, and they design new structures more appropriately suited to the emerging identity. We read stories in scripture about this process all the time, literally in the beginning, when humankind leaves the garden, that's separation, and we begin an ongoing journey towards right relationship, those liminal, the liminal period. We have sort of yet to reach our reorientation. This story that we read this morning about Ruth and Naomi, that's their story. Separation, liminality, and reorientation. The first phase, that of separation, happens almost as soon as the story opens for Ruth and Naomi. By verse 5, all the men in their lives are dead. And to some, this might elicit a response, something like, well, that's fine. Women need fish like, women need men like fish need bicycles. But, in all seriousness, in addition to the emotional trauma of so much loss, husbands and sons. This was a terrifying crisis for Ruth and Naomi. In the patriarchal, patrilineal, and patrilocal world in which they lived, having no men around them left them vulnerable in the most frightening ways. Women had almost no means of supporting themselves economically and absolutely zero social standing. This was separation the identity and status that previously defined Ruth and Naomi, gone. This is the scene we read, the one in which Naomi tries to send her daughters-in-law away, that they might attempt to piece something back together. Maybe their families of origin will help. But Ruth will have none of it. So they enter into the second phase, the liminal period, in which they have to explore new identities and subvert norms in order to survive. We see it in the story when Ruth gives up her identity as a Moabite and attaches herself to Naomi instead of returning to Moab. While it's not necessarily obvious to us in the text, this is a shocking development. Ruth leaves behind her family of origin, choosing instead people who she had been raised to think of as enemies, and those people were raised to think of her as an enemy. 
And then in, in chapter two, Ruth begins to show up in the fields and glean behind the workers, which would have been considered completely out of bounds as an unaccompanied woman. But she and Naomi needed to eat, so to hell with the rules. It's again happening in, in chapter three when Naomi creates a plan that subverts all kinds of norms when she arranges for Ruth to meet Boaz on the threshing floor in an incredibly risky attempt to secure a future. We, of course, know the rest of the story, the, the third phase, reorientation. Everything has worked out. Ruth meets Boaz, Ruth eventually becomes the great-grandmother of King David and then becomes an important link in the lineage of Jesus. And we tend to focus on that ending. It's a fairy tale. Ruth playing Cinderella, Naomi the fairy godmother, and Boaz the prince charming, and everyone lives happily ever after. But none of that would have been possible but for the moment of separation after everything had been taken from them when they stood in the middle of the desert and Naomi asked, where do we go from here? That's what we read in verse 11 when Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Ruth heard the desperation in her voice, no future, no hope. And it was then that Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Note that Ruth didn't give GPS coordinates to a specific location to where she and Naomi would go. But she did answer the question, where do we go from here? We go together. This is our story, too, or at least the one we might write, if we're willing. We have been through the first phase of transition, the separation. I can't imagine a more accurate description of what the pandemic did to our lives. Time stopped. The days ran together. Almost everything familiar to us, routines, habits, travel, relationships, work, they did not, could not proceed per usual, including church. We continued the work and ministry of Jesus, but did it in a different way in order to keep the community safe. We figured out how to worship together, but apart. We began to partner with community organizations in ways that we hadn't before, that are considered non-traditional. Churches are sometimes considered silos, but now we are thought of as partners. This is liminality, unlearning old behaviors, challenging the status quo, experimenting, taking risks, and learning as we go. Now, we're obviously not quite to our fairy tale ending. We, we still have some things to work out. The pandemic is not exactly over. We are still in liminality. On Thursday, Oklahoma reported 273 cases of COVID-19 in a 24-hour period. 
the most cases reported in a 24-hour period since April, we are navigating when and where and who needs to wear a face mask, what events are okay to hold or attend, who do we just leave behind, when can we sing together, are, are we going to go back to the way things were, do we want to go back to the where, way things were, where, where do we go from here? There's a risk that church will be thought of in terms as convenience, that even if people are able to come to worship or go serve in ministry, that they won't because they prefer to watch while still in their pajamas. This does not include those of us who can't be here because of health or because we are away. That is necessity. But there is now such a thing as choosing to take your church as if you are choosing how to take your coffee. Church is a community in which we participate, not a commodity that we consume. Where do we go from here? This is where the text guides us, gives us something to root ourselves in so that we can take the next faithful step, even if we don't know exactly where we're going. Can you imagine a world in which we took spiritual oaths like the one we find in the book of Ruth? What if we took these kinds of vows with members of our human family, our church family, our chosen family? Imagine saying to one another, where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Your troubles will be my troubles and your happiness, my happiness. By the grace of God, we are bound to one another. It will be through this commitment to one another that we will get to wherever God is leading us together, bound to one another. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.